Malachi 3. Isn't it beautiful out today with that sunshine? That sunshine is a, a blessing for sure. Um, that's right, Malachi 3. <laughs> well, I'm glad I had some influence in your life, Heidi, that you now think of a prophet with a false name. <laughs> Malachi, I'm sorry, Malachi 2. Yeah, Malachi 2. I'm glad I studied the right passage and didn't just say the wrong passage. That could have been awkward. <laughs> Let's read the passage. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 uh, tonight, and then, uh, so we'll read the passage and then have a word of prayer. I always get this confused. I typically do the opposite of what I say, but we're going to read the passage, then have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into it together. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and in equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. You have cursed many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but you have been partial in the law. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for this evening that we can come together tonight. And I do pray tonight that as we look to this passage that we would uh, seek to understand, God, what you would have for us to understand, that we would apply it in a way uh, that would truthfully cause us to fear your name, to reverence your name, to respect uh, you for who you are. God, I pray as we seek to learn from the mistakes uh, that are written for us here, God, that it, it would not just be learning to, to separate ourselves from a coming judgment, but God, it would be learning uh, so that we would fall deeper in love with who you are. That it wouldn't just be out of fear, but it would be uh, learning to, to love you more with all of our hearts. God, I do pray that as we go through these things, that your spirit would impress upon our hearts, God, it may be areas in our lives where we have not been living in the ways that we should, maybe where we have not been holding to your word in the way that you would desire us to, or following your spirit in the way that he deserves to be followed. And God, as the spirit points those out, I pray that we would repent and that we would turn to you again. We thank you again for this time. Be with us up here, be with the kids downstairs. God, may you be glorified in all that's said and done in this place this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> if you take notes, uh, I've got really original with the last couple um, lessons, and uh, when Dave 
taught. I had a lesson planned for that because when I got sick, it messed things up. And it was the problem with the priesthood. And that's where I thought I was ending with that. Well, then when I studied the next passage, I said, you know, this really follows, falls under the same category. So I labeled it the problem with the priesthood number two. And then as I studied this passage this week, I said, you know, why not? We're on a run here. So this is the problem with the priesthood number three. And uh, as you read through these passages, you'll understand that they are, they are deeply connected as God is having a conversation through Malachi with the priests. And God was calling them uh, to understand the error of their ways, to recognize where they had forsaken uh, what God had given them, where they had become contemptible in the words of Malachi here. Uh, and God was going to, to punish them because of it. And as I was reading through this and, and as I was looking at the problem with the priesthood, uh, one of the things that kept coming to my mind was this idea of not just learning from my own mistakes, but learning from someone else's mistakes. A couple of years ago, I took a, a motorcycle course, safety course, um, and down in, in the Barry area at the Harley Place, and I had not ridden motorcycles much. I rode dirt bikes as a kid, but um, I had, Bruce gave me a smoking deal on a sweet bike, so I just had to take it. And I bought the bike and uh, figured I probably should take the safety course, and I went for the first day, and uh, I got there, and from the moment I walked in, I felt like the instructor liked me and hated me at the same time. You ever met anybody like that? And uh, he, he was very kind with me. He just wanted to use me for an example in everything. And I'm the type that likes to see somebody else go first. Don't necessarily tell me how it's done. Show me how it's done, and then I can do it. That's just how I learn. And everything that he would have us do, he was like, all right, and Dan's going to go first. And I'm like, why? Why are you doing this to me? I, I like to learn from other people's mistakes, right? I want you to point out where they did it wrong, and instead I got to be the guinea pig who was pointed out the whole class, well, he did okay, but, or he could have done this better. And uh, I, I feel like that's, that's like what God does for us when he gives us um, these writings, especially this one concerning the priests. That he's saying, this is where they erred, now do better, right? This is, this is where they went off course. Now you have an opportunity to learn from their mistakes, to improve in the way that you worship me, in the way that you serve me. And he, he certainly is calling them out for their sins, but he's also using them as an example for us to not follow in their steps, for us to, to see the error of their way and choose to go, in, in some regards, in a different direction, to hold God uh, to a higher standard, to hold ourselves to a higher standard uh, when it comes to our love and devotion to Him. And so I think this is the last time that we're going to use this title, but if not, uh, next time will be the problem with the priesthood number four. Um, but tonight, the problem with the priesthood number three. And the title of our series, again, has been The Faithfulness of God. And when you compare and contrast God and the priesthood, or God with the people of Israel as a whole, it's clear that in the midst of God's continual faithfulness to them, at times there was a continual unfaithfulness to God. Where God has said, I, I love you, that's how we started the book of Malachi, and this is what I want for you, and this is the path that I want you to go down, and these are the things that I want you to observe, and this is how I want you to live. And yet in, in Malachi, we see that really the first uh, section that we have looked so, at so far, and really the remaining section, is God calling them out for the error of their ways. And the sad reality is, as God did this to, to them or for them, their continual response to God was this. Well, wherein have we done that? 
have we really forsaken you? Have we really not done the things that you asked us to do? Have you really loved us in the way that, that you say you've loved us? And so as, as God is speaking to them through Malachi, really, uh, as much as it was to their benefit, it's to our benefit. And it's similar to, to when uh, maybe you were a kid and one of your siblings got in trouble. Um, I often made a mental note, not going to do that right? Like, I, I saw what happened when they did that. I'm not going to do that. Now, did I always follow through with my commitment? No, I did not. And oftentimes, I find myself getting in trouble for the same things that my older, uh, horrible, worst brother often got in trouble for. Um, but that's, that's what God has given us here. And so, as we look to the problem of the priesthood tonight, it would be easy for us to look at this and say, this doesn't apply to me. This is written to the priesthood. It has nothing to do with me living as a Christian in 2023. But friend, all of the word of God is profitable. All of the word of God is profitable. And as we look to glean from this passage what God would have for us, I do believe that we would find profit in it tonight that would cause us to, to love God uh, more deeply than we've ever loved him before. And so as I said, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at some problems in the priesthood. And tonight we're going to continue in that line of thinking and it really shows us how far away these people who were to be representatives of God to the people of God had wandered. And so in this passage, we see that God begins to heavily rebuke them, but we must understand that in his rebuke, his desire was to bring them back. God wasn't just an angry father who, who was just railing on these, these children of his that were wayward for the sake of getting out his aggression. That's not the way that God fathers. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that his, his dealings with us are always just? His dealings with us are always purposeful? That, that he's always intentional? And honestly, his dealings with us are always necessary. God never deals with us in a way that we don't need to be dealt with. God never speaks to us in a way that we don't need to be spoken to. And as I was thinking through this passage, my mind kept going to Hebrews as it talks about the chastening of the Lord. And the chastening of the Lord at, at the time that it's occurring is, is pleasurable for no one. But what does the chastening of the Lord often produce? The peaceable fruit of righteousness, right? That God, God works in us through that chastening to bring us back to where he wants us to be. And so we could we could go off the rails as we think of passages like this and think to ourselves, especially with some of the things that God says here, wow, God is just being really harsh to them, but he's not. He is being harsh, but that's not the end of what God is trying to do. He's not just trying to be harsh, but rather he is in his harshness through the words that he says, showing them his desire for them, showing his love for them, and, and bringing them back to where he wants them to be. And so as we get into this text tonight, we're going to see that the, the sins that God is calling them out for were very real sins. And God is showing them his displeasure towards them for the things that they're doing. And God is going to use some pretty rich imagery here. And if you listen to the passage as it was read, it's not beautiful poetic imagery like in Song of Solomon. The imagery is actually quite disgusting. And as he, as he uses this disgusting imagery, it's for the purpose of getting their attention. He's trying to get them to understand just how far away they have wandered and how much he wants them to come back. And so as we always do, we're going to go through this verse by verse. And as we do, I pray that we would examine our own hearts and that we would 
we would ask ourselves where we have wandered away, that we would ask ourselves, how has God chastened us? And then we would ask ourselves, what has our response been to that chastening? Because just because the chastening of the Lord occurs doesn't mean that it always brings about a right response in those who receive his chastening. Um, You would know that as a parent. If you've disciplined your child with a right heart, that discipline doesn't always bring about your desired end. Um, In some cases, it brings about more rebellion. Uh, In some cases, it brings about a, a harder heart. And so as God is chastening, as God is dealing with the priesthood here, his desire would be that they would come back to him, uh, that they would come back to him in a way that would bring glory to his name, that at the end of this, they would say, man, we wandered so far away, but God was so faithful. We, we left the principles that God had established for us to walk in, and yet ne- God never left his principle of faithfulness towards us. He was always faithful, he was always loving, and he was always kind. As we think about chastening, uh, we do have to understand before we get into this that the chastening of the Lord is not punitive in in the sense that God is just getting back at us. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't just get back at us? That it's not just, well, you did that, so now I'm going to do this, and, and I can do worse to you because I'm God and I've got all power. No, God's, God's chastening in our lives is always to discipline us, to bring us back, uh, never to, to push us further away. And uh, as we approach the passage with that thought in mind, I think it will be a joyful passage in the end uh, because we'll understand more about the heart of God. Um, yeah, let's just get into it. In verse number one, uh, Malachi says this, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is... For you, I can remember being a kid, maybe being at a friend's house, and you know, when my friend did something to get in trouble, um, that parent was calling out my friend for the thing that they had done wrong. Uh, but I always have had kind of an eager ear to listen. You know, anybody else ever have an eager ear to listen when somebody's getting in trouble? And so, while while the punishment or while the chastening or the the rebuke from the parent was towards that child, uh, as we said earlier, you can often learn something. Um, even if it's just a path not to go down as you listen to the rebuke of others. And so as, as this starts out in chapter 2 by saying, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you, as I said earlier, we would oftentimes look at this and say, well, we can turn a blind eye because it doesn't apply to us, but we would be fools for doing that uh, because the rebuke of the priesthood is something that we indeed can learn from. And so as, as this rebuke is, is beginning to be established, as the punishment for the priest is about to be laid out, one of the things that we learn if we pay attention is how serious God is about our service to him. Isn't it true that, that the world uh, of, of Christianity as a whole basically says you can just kind of serve God however you want? Well, that's not true. We can't live however we want. We can't serve God however we want. God has given us parameters to walk in, and we would do well to walk in those parameters. Now, certainly we're not held to the same degree of standard that the priesthood was held to in this day, for they served, as I said earlier, a a distinct purpose as really being representatives of God to the, the children of Israel. But we can learn a lot from them, and we can learn about, a lot about God's rebuke to them. And so if we had any doubts about who this passage was geared towards in its original writing, 
Well, those doubts are taken away because Malachi says, oh, you priests, this, is commandment, this commandment is for you. But if we stop there and begin to turn a blind eye, then we would do, do ourselves a, a disservice or an injustice because we wouldn't be learning from something that God has given to us. And so as God was, was re- beginning to rebuke the priest, he calls them out by name. And no longer could they shirk off the blame. No longer could they say it was the people that made us do it. Remember the story of, of when Moses was on the mountain and Aaron um, formed the golden calf. And, and what was Aaron's excuse? Oh, it was the people. And then we just threw all this stuff in the fire and this is what happened. No, Aaron. Like you're held responsible for that because you were in charge of the people at that moment. And God is now saying specifically to the priests that this commandment is for you. You need to listen up because the things that I am going to share with you or, or say over you reveals how far you have wandered from me. So they couldn't push off their responsibility. This was for them. And then in, as we get into verse 2, he says this, If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. If God hadn't gotten their attention in verse number one, I would guess that verse number two got their attention. Their lack of sincerity, their lack of of love, heartfelt love, their their lack of loyalty, their lack of reverence, their lack of fear for the, the very name of God, was being revealed now, and he tells them, if you don't listen to me, and if you don't lay it to heart, or if you don't take this in a sincere way and apply it directly to yourself, then there's going to be a curse that comes upon you, and God says, I am going to curse your blessings, and then he goes further and says, but if you think I'm withholding that curse, I want you to know I already have cursed your blessings. Now, the blessings of God... Why would God ever touch those things to get the attention of his people, to get the attention of the ones he loves? Now, now what is this curse and what are these blessings? We don't really know. The curse, anytime a curse is pronounced in the Old Testament, we know it's a very serious thing. But in regards to the blessings, we don't know if it was the blessings that the people were giving to the priests by way of sacrifice that they could survive and live off of, or if it was the blessings that the priests were giving to the people. We don't know the full extent of what the curse was and and the details of how it was going to play out in their lives. We do get into a little bit of it uh, as we continue in these verses. But really, this language that God is using here from the very get-go in verse number 2 is to get their attention and to draw their minds into this truth of how serious God is being. Because up to this point, what were they thinking? We're carrying out the priesthood really in any way we want, and God's not doing anything about it. So either God doesn't care, or what we're doing is is really righteous. Either God doesn't care, or what we're doing is pleasing to God. But shouldn't they have known that God did care? And shouldn't they have known that what they were doing was not righteous? They had the law given to them. They understood the role that they were to fulfill. They understood the way that they were supposed to live. And so God calls this curse upon them. And he reminds them that he would not hold them guiltless, but rather they would be held responsible 
for the things that they were doing because of the way that they were doing them and because of the results uh, from the things that they were doing were having upon the people of God. When I read this passage again, it reminded me of Cain and Abel one more time. Uh, The rejection of the sacrifice in Genesis, what did that bring about to, to Cain? It brought a curse. But didn't it also bring embarrassment? When God looked at Abel's offering and accepted it, and then he looked at Cain's offering and rejected it, what was it that caused Cain to become so upset? It was the embarrassment that what he did was not good enough. And in some sense, this had to be happening here. That as the priests were getting called out, as as God was rejecting the things that they were doing, it had to have brought about some sort of embarrassment. Hopefully it brought about some sort of conviction that they would fall on their face before a holy God and say, you're right, God, we have wronged you. We have led the people astray. We have not carried out the, the, the calling that you have placed upon our lives in a way that you deserve. And, and now we're going to come back to you. But in this moment, God was calling them out. He wanted them to understand the error of their way. He wanted them to understand that a curse was coming upon them, and he wanted them to understand that they needed to pay attention. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you'll understand that disobedience in the Old Testament often brought about severe chastening from God. And as the priests wandered with the people through the wilderness, didn't they see that firsthand? Who wasn't allowed to go into the promised land? Their leader, right? And so this wasn't the first instance. They couldn't claim ignorance and say, well, we've never seen this before. We, no one's ever disobeyed. We, we just thought you were, you were okay with everything we're doing. They, they had no excuse. And as God looked at them, he knew what they knew. And friend, can that be a reminder to us that when God looks at us, he also knows what we know? Don't we like to claim ignorance? Your kids ever like to claim ignorance? I didn't know. I didn't know. I, wasn't, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And they'll go on and on. And it's like, I know you knew because we had a conversation two and a half minutes ago where I told you not to do the very thing that you did. You knew. But they were being like the false teachers in Second Peter who were willfully ignorant to the word of God. They knew what was right. They knew what was true. But the, they decided to reject it and they decided to abandon it. And God says all this is coming in the first part of verse number two because they weren't doing what? They weren't giving glory to God's name. We talked about this a little bit last week, but how serious does God take his own name? (laughs) You cross the name of God and and bad things happen, right? In the priesthood, in Moses' life, uh, through, through the judges, through, through all of the Old Testament, we see that when people crossed the name of God, when they got on the bad side of God's name, that it didn't go well for them. But can we also understand that that's an eternity thing as well? That when we're on the wrong side of God's name, so to speak, in eternity, then what does that mean? Separation from God forever. The ultimate curse of everlasting destruction falls upon those who reject to value God's name appropriately. So it's a big deal. He's not just speaking lightly to them. He's he's speaking very seriously to them because he wants to get their attention. Any thoughts on verses 1 and 2? And it's a weighty passage. Yes, Annie. So 
So at this point, they had returned to Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple. And so if, if, you, if you take the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the, the uh, Malachi kind of plays into that. So they were reestablishing themselves uh, as an independent people, um, but they were still, in some regards, under other rulers at this time, um, because even those other rulers were, were funding some of the work that was happening in uh, this city. So um, I, I would say that God was seeking for them to act independently of other people. And I think part of the corruption was that they were, they were still dependent on those other people and being influenced by those other people. So somebody else? Any thoughts? Bruce? Hmm. You know, I have to represent God if I can. Sure. Whether they were, you know, four or five years old or now they're in their forties. Yeah. I'll say how deep is that somebody when you're mad at me, but you know, we have that accountability. Yeah. And uh, the more we know, the more accountability yeah. we have. Absolutely. Because if we wanted to, I could be gone. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Where instead of just erasing the thoughts, we have messed up, we've done this, we've done that. And probably everybody in the church would say, I did this. Right. And God could have just said, I'm done. Yeah. You knew better, I'm done. But instead, he extends grace and mercy hmm. and expects us to be gracious and merciful and forgive because we know. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is certainly long-suffering. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Evan. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Good thoughts. Um, anybody else? Any thoughts? Continuing on in verse 3, we, we begin to see some of the curse uh, that God gives to them or, or calls out upon them. And he says, behold, I will corrupt your seed. And, and that sounds bad, but then he goes further and says, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And so... Right from the get-go, God is saying this curse that I'm calling out upon you is a big deal uh, because the curse is going to impact your kids. And isn't that what the Old Testament often reminds us, that the sins of the fathers will be visited to the children in the third and fourth generations? That if you don't get right with God, that this is, 
this is going to have an, a lasting impact in your life, and it's going to be played out in the lives of your children. And so as we think about the seed of Levi, in some regards, that would have been a coveted seed, right? Because you had a special position that nobody else could just walk into. Nobody else could do the things that you were doing. And, and because of your seed, God had afforded you some very special privileges uh, to, to go into the holy place and the holy of holies to offer these sacrifices uh, to a holy and just God. That was a great privilege that God had given them. But God says, if you don't, if you don't get right, then your seed is going to be corrupted. And then he says, and I'll spread dung upon your faces. Now, this is not a pleasurable scene at all. Um, the, the idea of, and, and it would be animal feces that is being talked about here, but this idea of, of taking animal waste and, and wiping it on your faces is just, it's, it's a disgusting scene, but it describes the waywardness of their hearts. That they had wandered so far away from God that God says, you're disgusting in my sight. The things that you're doing are disgusting in my sight. And I didn't really know much about this until I studied it, but as the animal sacrifices were given, obviously when those animals were killed, they, those animals would have waste inside of them. And part of the job that the priest would have to do is to clean out that waste. And they would take that waste and they would burn it outside the city. Why? Because it wasn't worthy of being put on the altar and burnt up in God's presence. And so when, when God says here that I'm going to wipe that dung on your faces, even the dung of the solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it, it's a picture of that waste being taken out of the holy place and taken outside the city and discarded. And God's saying, that's what I'm going to do with you. That because of your waywardness, you're going to be treated like that animal waste that you used to discard, and now I, I am in some sense discarding you. I, I'm taking you out of the position that you're holding because you're not worthy to hold that position any longer. And for the priests, you know, as, as we think about their seed, we know it was a, a special seed. As we think about the, the position that they held, it was a position of, of great purity. It was a, a position that if, if they weren't careful, it could have come with great pride. And I think in some sense, they should have had some pride, right? They should have taken pride, not in the calling that they had, but in the work that they were doing. And where they fell apart was they stopped being enamored with the God that they were actually serving. It became a job to them. It became just a menial task that their dad did and their grandfather did and their great-grandfather did. And when little Johnny grew up, he knew that he was going to be a priest and he would just carry in his dad's footsteps. But the priesthood should have been more than that. And really, our Christian lives should be more than that. Uh, it's, it's this idea that, that because my, my dad did it right, then I'm going to be okay and my kids are going to be okay. But God holds us each accountable for our actions. And though in years past they had done it right and they had pleased God, now they were not pleasing God and God was going to set things straight and they were going to reap the consequences of their actions, and it shows the seriousness of God. In verse number four, he continues and says, and you shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, in the way that I'm dealing with you, you're going to know how serious I'm being. In the things that I'm, I'm calling out over you, 
you're going to have an understanding of how serious I take my name and how I desire to be worshipped and how I desire to be served and how I desire for, for people to live in front of me. And so as these priests served God and as they served the people, they were in some sense a mediator that would go between the two and God was telling them that they needed to act in a certain way. God is reminding them again in verse number four that this commandment was for them. And God wanted the covenant that he made with Levi to be with them, to, for them to walk in the life and peace that we're going to see in verse number five. But at this moment, they were not walking in that life and peace. They were walking in a wayward sense away from God. And God was, was calling these people back to himself. It's interesting as we think about the, the dung being wiped upon their faces, um, the animal dung being wiped upon their faces, when was it in the New Testament that the prodigal son finally came back to himself? Where was he? He was face down in what? Animal waste in the pig pen, eating, desiring to eat the husks that, were, that he was feeding to the pigs themselves. And that's when he remembered his father. And so while this is, sounds harsh, and it is harsh, and it's rightly harsh. We, we understand that in it all, God is seeking to get their attention. He's seeking to draw them back. He's seeking to bring them back to the position that they once held. And, and I think it just is, it serves as a reminder that sometimes God lets us get to the bottom of the pit before we turn around. And sometimes, sometimes God puts us in the bottom of the pit. Why? So that we will turn around. So that we will remember the way that we're supposed to live and the things that we're supposed to be doing. And most importantly, that we would remember the God that we are serving. I like how he ends verse 4. This isn't just a ruler speaking. Who is it? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. The one who reigns supremely over everything. The Lord of hosts is his name. And he's calling these priests back to himself. Any thoughts on verses 3 and 4? Evan. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It goes, I mean, ties back into what we talked about this morning with the Pharisees, right? They were so far from God, and they thought they were so close to God. Uh, and these priests, in their pride, could have said, we're the priests. You can't get any closer to God than being a priest. Well, actually, you can, right? Because it's, it's about that personal relationship. And certainly, they had, in some regards, special communication with God and served God in a special way but I would say there was a remnant that was closer to God in this moment than the priests ever were in this moment because they were serving faithfully. Anybody else? Any thoughts on three and four? Yes, Jessica.
Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as I was thinking through this, it, it took me to the First uh, Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, and as Paul's giving instructions, I think it's in First Corinthians 11 where he talks about this, where he says, why, why are some sick among you to the point of death? Why was that? Because they ate unworthily of the Lord's Supper. And, you know, the Lord's Supper is a picture and causes us to remember the sacrifice of Christ and what was pictured before the sacrifice of Christ. What pictured the sacrifice of Christ before the sacrifice of Christ? The Passover, the sacrifices that were offered, the, the, the way that God uh, worked in and through his people in the Old Testament. And, and I, I think it's, it's no strange thing that God is taking this idea of the way that the priests were offering the sacrifices um, so personally, because it was, in essence, a representation of what was to come right? The, the one who would give the ultimate sacrifice as he died in their place. We're going to keep going on uh, for the sake of time. In verse 5, he says, my covenant was with him, speaking of, of Levi, the tribe of Levi, the priesthood, uh, was of life and peace, and I gave them to him uh, for with the, the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. And so as God was thinking through the priesthood in the past, God says they, they were blessed in part because of the way they feared my name. They were chosen and, and blessed and prospered because of the way that they upheld uh, the, the worship of me. And God said, I gave them life and peace. And now what is God saying to them? I'm going to take you out like we take the dung out of the city uh, when the sacrifices are being performed. And so the, the priesthood again God was relaying to them that they're, they're not where they should be. They're not where they once were. And, and God couldn't let this sin uh, go unpunished. And God, God doesn't want us to serve him out of fear as a primary motivator. But shouldn't there be a fear within us that causes us to serve him as a secondary motivator? That because we understand who God is, like I, I didn't show up to church this morning because I fear who God is, or I don't seek to love my wife and kids and, and be a good steward of the things that God has given me because of fear, I, first off, I do it out of love, right? Because of what God has done for me, how can I not love him in return? But if there's ever a time in my life where that love wanes, then there should be this thing that pops up within me and say, even though my love's not what it should be, there should still be something in the back of my mind that reminds me of what the fear of the Lord is, that I should serve God uh, and stay in, in the place that he wants me to stay in because I know what it is that he can do. So God says, my, my covenant with them was, was life and peace, and I gave these things for him for wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. And, and God, uh, it's never good to compare your children, but God is using a comparison here, right? He's saying you're not living uh, to the standard uh, that your fathers were when I called them to be my priests. And so they, they were living in a certain way. They received the blessings of God in some sense because of the way that they were living. But then in verse 6, he tells us of the way that they spoke. He says, the law of truth was in his mouth 
and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn, away, uh, did turn many away from iniquity. If you remember last week when, when the sacrifices were being talked of, what did God say they were doing? They were snuffing at them, right? They, they were blowing their nostrils, air out of their nostrils towards these things that God had set up. They, they were thinking through them or about them with an attitude of sin. But God said, when I called the priest to be my priest, the law of truth was in their mouth. There was no iniquity in their lips. And they were turning people away from sin. And now what had these priests done? They had turned people to sin. They turned people in the exact opposite direction that God wanted them to go in. These priests in the past were living as an example in holiness, as a picture of, of a mediator between God and man. And now these priests were act, acting in a way that was actually turning people away from God. What a sad state of affairs that is. And what a sad state of affairs that is when that happens in our lives as well. In verse number seven, he says, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God is saying the people that come to you, they should be able to find the law of God in your mouth. They should be able to, to listen to the words that you say and see that this knowledge that you have is not from you, but it's for me. And, and this knowledge is causing the priest to live in fear, which would then cause the people to live in a, a righteous fear of God. But this isn't what they were doing any longer. This isn't how they were living any longer. And God had had enough of it. He was calling back his priests in some sense so he could get back his children. And any time a leader of God becomes corrupt in his life and walks away from God, oftentimes he will take with him a group of people who will follow him wherever he goes. And so as these priests were saying, hey, this isn't what God said, but it's okay, there was a group of people that bought into that lie and said, hey, the priest said it's okay, so we're good with it. And isn't that similar to what happens in the New Testament with the false teachers? So there's such a parallel. There's such a parallel of what was taking place in the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And what does that show? It shows the reality of the sinfulness in the hearts of men, that God can set up whatever system he wants, and yet in some ways we as human beings are going to push back and, and seek to do things our own way. Any thoughts on verses 5, 6, and 7? Bruce. Yeah. Absolutely. Good thoughts. Anybody else? Any thoughts on the way that God was speaking to them and in the, the heart that he had for them or in the tone that he was taking with them? Anything strike you? Evan, that was almost a raised hand. You have to be careful taking your arm away from your wife like that. <laughs> Yeah. 
And it's, you know, as they would perform these sacrifices, what were the people bringing the sacrifices for? For that peace with God. God says, I'm not pleased. I'm not pleased with what you've allowed. I'm not pleased with what you've permitted. I'm not pleased with what you've told people to bring. And, and in this moment when things were re, being rebuilt and things were being reestablished and, and when it should have been a time of great rejoicing as they were coming out from under the bondage of their captors, they were wandering farther away from God once again. And again, just a sad commentary on the lives that these people were living. Anybody else? Any thoughts? All right, verses 8 and 9, and then we'll be done. So he says in verse 8, But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have, as ye have not kept my ways, but ye have been partial in the law. God says, Remember, the reason that this curse is coming upon you, the reason that this, this dung, so to speak, is being spread upon your faces, remember the reason that you are not walking in peace and you're not experiencing the life that I have for you is because you have departed out of the way. And not only have you departed out of the way, but you have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. God is, is once again being very pointed with them. He's not saying, oh, these general things happened. He's saying, no, these very specific things happened. And what started as pure had now become defiled, and God wanted these men to know that they were responsible for it. Now, how would you receive that? In two ways. You could be humbled under the words of God, or you could grow resentful towards the word of God. Um, going back to the story of Cain and Abel. Um, Cain has an opportunity to be humbled under the word of God or to grow resentful towards the word of God. He grew resentful. God said, sin's crouching at the door. It's waiting at the door. But if you repent, if you repent, if you come back, if you offer the sacrifice in the way that I have called you to offer it, and Cain said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do things my way, as, as we talked about last week. And so God was showing them the hardness of their hearts, and he was showing them what the hardness of their hearts was getting. Um, please don't repeat what I'm about to tell you. In our family, we talk about our kids all the time. Anderson, I hate to even say it, but Brianna and I were talking about it the other day. He's the Pharisee in our family. Like, We've got him labeled and tagged. He's the, he loves the rules, right? You tell him a certain way to do things, he will follow that rule. If anything changes, if there's a shift in plans, the kid cannot handle it. Like, it's, it's a no-go from this point on. We have to stick to the plan. If the plan changes, then everybody's day just falls apart from that point forward. He's the rule follower. And, and I, I love that about him. I love that, that he likes that. Um, and as, as in his life, when the plan doesn't go the way it's supposed to, things fall apart. Well, guess what? God established a plan, and the people had walked outside of God's plan, and what happened? Things fell apart. Not in a sense that God couldn't fix them, not in a sense that God couldn't restore them, but what they needed to understand is that when things fell apart, they were responsible for it. In Anderson's case, it's, it's when plans change, it's not his fault. We have other kids. I won't mention them because they're in the room. 
I'm just joking, Noah. I'm just joking. But we, we have seen other families with other kids uh, who, who, this isn't about you, Noah, um, who, who have kids, and maybe there are kids in our family like this, but they're not so keen on the rules, right? Do the rules really matter? Can we, can we push the limits a little bit? Can we do things our own way? Can we, can we just live how we want to live? Well, that doesn't go well, right? It may go well for you in the moment. The priest thought it was going well for them. But what does God say? You've stumbled at the law. You've caused others to stumble at the law. And now the whole priesthood is looked at as a despised thing. This thing that once used to be held up, God says in verse 9, has now become contemptible. This, this position that people used to look to as a position of authority, as a position uh, of, of God's gift to them, as a way to interact with God according to their sins, was now contemptible. And God goes further to say, and, and it's not just that you've come, become contemptible, but I've made you the base of all people. You're the lowest of the low. In the things that you've done, in the way that you have been living, you have been made base before all the people because you have not kept my ways, but you have been partial in the law. And what is that partiality in the law? It's them picking and choosing what they wanted to do. Oh, you want to bring that animal? Sure, that's fine. Oh, you want to give that offering? It's not whole. We won't eat it. We'll save that for the other priest down the street, right? We'll cook it, but he can eat it. Um, that's fine. And, and all the while, while the priest maybe thought they were doing the people a favor, they were doing the people a disservice. Because if the priests were saying what God has called you to give is not actually what you need to give, then what would the people's minds have said? We don't have to take God's word seriously. We can just do whatever we want. And isn't that the story in the Old Testament time and time again? That the people did what was right in their own eyes. It got so bad in Genesis 6 that what did God have to do? Flood the earth. And so this idea of, of this just being a small problem that God should have been able to overlook, or we could say that God is just being petty and it's not really a big deal. God's saying it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And believers in a world where, where much of Christian culture is saying, it's okay, you just do you, and God's going to be pleased with that. Friend, that's not the message of the Bible. We don't just do us, right? We don't just live according to our whims or, or act according to how we want to act. God's given us a standard in his word. And if we remember what Paul says, what does he say? Be holy. Why? For I am holy. And what is the basis of our holiness? It's, first and foremost, Jesus Christ. But don't we still have a, a will to act in that holiness? Shouldn't, shouldn't we still follow the leading of the Spirit? We could just say, well, Christ has paid the debt, therefore I'm good and I can go do whatever I want. In fact, if I just do whatever I want, then God's grace is going to abound. What does Paul say in Romans 6 when the people say that? God forbid! God forbid that, that you would live any way you want to to try to magnify the grace of God. And really, they weren't trying to magnify the grace of God. What were they trying to magnify? Their own fleshly lusts. God forbid. And so as we live in 2023, though we don't have the priesthood like they have had, and though 
we're not offering offerings like they offered, we should understand in a greater way that the offering that was offered for us should cause us to desire to live in holiness beyond even what they understood. See, in some sense, they were, they were working the works of the flesh according to the law to please God. They did it by faith, and God was pleased with their efforts. We no longer work the works of the flesh. We have the Spirit who resides within us, who empowers us and enables us to do what we can never do on our own, and yet so often we find ourselves still wandering away from where God would want us to be. So the priests had a decision to make, similar to what we talked about this morning. As God was giving them this rebuke, He was wanting them to correct the error of their ways. As God was giving them this rebuke, He was wanting them to understand that this was nothing to snuff at any longer. As God was giving them this rebuke, He was reminding them of the position that they had. And though we, we think of the idea that we too are made priests to God, what's better, being a priest to God or a son of God? A son. A son, and that's what each of us are, sons and daughters of God. And how should we live in a way that adequately represents our Father? Again, at that funeral yesterday, um, some funerals I go to are just sad, especially when the person that you're there um, to remember did not know Christ as their Savior. Some funerals are, are a time of, of relief when somebody had suffered so long and now they're in the presence of Jesus. Some funerals are a time of rejoicing. Maybe they weren't suffering, but they still are in the presence of Jesus. Some funerals are downright convicting. That funeral was convicting. I pray that if I'm 43 or 93, that when my friends and family stand around my body, that they could say some of the same things that were said about this man who died as a faithful servant of God. Unfortunately, for the priests that we're studying now, there was a hiccup in the road. And as they were remembered, what do we remember them for? Everything they did wrong. May that not be true of us. May, may the problems in the priesthood, may, may they not arise in our hearts, but may we stay humble before our Father. May we remember the position that we have is because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And may we live for His honor and for His glory. Any thoughts as we wrap things up this evening? Bruce. This uh, uh, passage about that stumbling through the crowd to make us hmm. humble. Jesus addressed the same thing when He was speaking to His disciples in uh, Mark chapter 9. Whosoever shall offend and that offending cause to stumble. One of these little He's serious. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Anybody else? 
Who's ever thought of the prophets before and maybe you thought in your mind, oh, the prophets. There's nothing to learn in the prophets. Friends, there's a lot to learn in the prophets. Um, sometimes you've got to dig a little. Sometimes you've got you to seek to understand. And, and if we just speak of them in a historical sense, then maybe it is a little dry, but there's still something to learn. But as we seek to apply it to our lives today, uh, there's a message in there for us. And in Malachi, the message is the faithfulness of God. And so let's leave tonight rejoicing that God is faithful.